Welcome back to RPM, the podcast that explores the world of private markets. I'm your host, Michael Venn. Unlike American endowments, which were among the first institutions to incorporate private markets in their portfolios, insurance companies are relative newcomers. Like other types of investors, insurers, and reinsurers are looking for alternatives to traditional asset classes to meet their return expectations and long-term liabilities. However, building a private market program can be difficult for insurers owing to accounting and regulatory constraints. Joining me today to discuss these topics are Marc-Andre Mittermeier and Mark Likas, senior investment professionals from our private debt team, which manages our proprietary private debt SMA platform. Marc-Andre, Mark, welcome to RPM. Thanks for the intro, Mark. Happy to be here. Thanks, Michael, and happy to speak on our insurance expertise. So, Marc-Andre, I'd like to start with you. When we talk about insurance companies investing in private markets, who exactly are we talking about? Is it property insurers, life insurance, reinsurers? Michael, in, in principle, you could think of any insurance or reinsurance company in that context. However, given the specific liability profile of a company, private market investments might be more or less interesting for them. Insurance or insurance companies whose liabilities have a very short way to average life, such as property insurers, for instance, are probably less inclined to invest significantly into private markets, except they have a large surplus, which they can use for this. I would say naturally long-tailed casualty liabilities, and in particular life insurance liabilities, probably more ideal to be matched with illiquid investments, but duration matching itself, specifically on the shorter end of the term structure, is probably not really something that can be done with a lot of private market investments, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And could you perhaps explain why insurers have historically been relatively small allocators to private markets and that maybe touch on some of the reasons why this is changing? Sure. I mean, when rates were high, there was a limited need to onboard illiquidity, right? Uh, and remember, at the same time rates were high, the discounted liabilities were low. The other thing, to be fair, 10 years ago, the private market offering was very limited in private debt and infra in particular, maybe only private equity and to a certain extent real estate had a big enough fund market. Solvency regulation, in particular in Europe, stresses the prudent person principle. So with this, insurance companies can only invest in asset classes where they fully comprehend the underlying risk. Here, market data and research plays a key role, but the industry first needed to catch up quite a bit in order to be at the place where we are today. To your point why this is changing, I would say we are since quite some time in a super low yield environment, right? And are facing quite high equity valuations. With this, the hand for yield is obviously omnipresent and private markets do provide an additional pickup thanks to the liquidity premium. So that's one of the reasons why it is changing. Furthermore, increased market understanding and modeling skills allow for more illiquid investments these days. And I would say last but not least, some regulators specifically in Europe accommodate more private market investments these days. Interesting. And how much of their portfolios does the typical insurer allocate to private markets? Look, um, again, this totally depends on the business model and the weighted average life of the liabilities. While a runoff life insurer can invest a significant portion of his assets into private markets and bear the illiquidity risk, a property insurer will have little appetite for such an investment. In general, I would say the industry is quite heterogeneous and we do see larger, more sophisticated insurance companies with internal know-how 
investing large portions into private markets. In the US, for instance, we observe quite some bifurcation, though, between life insurers, which have allocations to private markets in the high teens, including real estate, and PNC insurers, which have little to no exposure. In Europe, I would say the UK is leading the tableau with allocations to private markets north of 20%. But uh, also in Germany, we see allocations in the high teens. Interestingly enough, uh, at life insurers and at PNC insurers, um, which is interesting to note. Um, on the other side of the globe, Japan, we see allocations in the low single digits. But I think overall, when you ask me about trends, I remember a study by Goldman Sachs that sees tendencies for increases to middle market loans, specifically in private equity in the US, infrastructure and middle market loans in the EMEA region, and then private equity and to a lesser extent infrastructure and middle market loans in Asia. So in describing why insurers are changing the composition of their portfolios and the need to replace assets with low yields, uh, it sounds like private debt is a natural place for insurers to begin their private market journeys. But uh, return requirements, as you pointed out, are only part of the equation. Um, what are some of the other investment-related goals that insurance companies have? Yeah, I would agree with you, Michael. Uh, outside of real estate, private equity has historically been, for most insurance companies, their first step into private markets, even though the allocations were fairly small. Overall, insurance companies' books are dominated already by fixed income assets. And hence, with the pressure on yields, private debt is an obvious replacement strategy. Certain fixed rate investments, real estate, IG, infra IG, can also support insurers, which are seeking duration matching. On the other hand, Floating agreements like in corporate direct lending can be beneficial in rising rate environment and shouldn't be neglected. Um, besides that, the investment goals of insurance companies, I would say, center around five points. Number one, predictability of returns, i.e. low loss rates in particular. Two, low volatility compared to public high yield, uh, in, in particular in a replacement context. Number three, diversification of return drivers for probably optimized return per unit of solvency capital. And then last but not least, a somehow guaranteed income to satisfy, satisfy the obligations stemming from their policies. Uh, one thing that should be mentioned here as well is that insurers are much more eager to optimize total income earned and not necessarily IRRs per se. So deployment speed and maintaining high deployment levels is really crucial for them. And what role do other factors like regulations play in determining the types of investments that insurers can pursue? In, in general, the regulator influences investment decisions via the imposed capital charges. Uh, not surprisingly, the, the asset class capital charges rates differ from regime to regime. In the US, for instance, a reduction of capital charges can only be achieved by structuring the asset pool with a rated note and an equity piece. Obviously, the NIC monitors the developments in this space and has in the past removed the support, for instance, for principal protected notes. Most likely on the safer end of the spectrum, I would say, are rated notes which purely rely on debt investments, whereas probably the conversion of, for instance, private equity or hedge funds um, investments into a fixed income instruments, uh, which the rated note is, might receive a little bit more scrutiny. Uh, Mark Lickis, let's, um I'd like to turn to you uh, for a minute. Um, how does the situation that uh, Marc-Andre just described compare with the situation in Europe? 
I think in, in Europe as well, the regulator drives to some extent the allocation policy. I think in Europe we have solvency too. And for example, the standard model, the regulator does not punish illiquid assets or unrated exposure. With this, the capital charge on an unrated direct lending investment compares significantly better than a double B or single B rated high yield or syndicated loan with the same duration. Um, this explains to some extent the strong demand from European insurance companies for private debt. The same way infrastructure has significant tailwind as it will obtain a lower capital charge if it can be classified as qualifying. For private equity, the revision of the requirements for long-term equity might be a game changer. With this, a classification under the long-term equity bucket would actually reduce capital charge by half. Here, the discussion is still ongoing, and obviously, we hope that this will pass. So this has been really fascinating. Um, and with so many different variables to account for, it sounds like another reason why insurance companies haven't invested as heavily in private markets as have other institutions could be that the right solution wasn't available, right? Um, talking about this trend toward customization and tailoring a program for each client. Um, Mark, in your mind, what are some of the key traits an insurer should look for when selecting an investment manager or advisor? I think we see here mostly two discussion points. I think one of the discussion points revolves about investment objectives. So insurance companies need to manage payments and policies and with this, income on committed capital is much more relevant than an IRR on invested capital. To achieve this, deployment speed and exposure is key. Um, this can be best satisfied with an evergreen solution offering access to continuous deal flow. And this paired with the ability and flexibility to steer the portfolio is what we see that most of the insurance companies are actually looking for. Um, the other topic, it's revolves a lot, actually not about investment goals, but around transparency and data quality. Um, in order to satisfy the regulatory obligations, insurance companies need to report the capital charts under a specific time frame and under a specific format, meaning the TPT template. Um, here, it's crucial that private markets, which again is not known for the highest data availability, is able to satisfy this obligation and provide the data. Um, further to this, we have um, obligations under Pillar 2, which is the so-called own risk assessment. Here, the insurance company needs to assess the risk of the, in the, the asset properly. And again, most information is non-public, confidential. Uh, it is hard to find reliable data on example loss rates, uh, default rates, risk premium, and so forth. And here again, um, I think one of the points insurance companies are looking for um, is data data and information. And here I think we can help as we actually have built quite, an, quite a substantial loan database and can extract some of these specific points the insurance company is actually looking for. So having worked with you all on our white paper, I know we have quite a bit of experience here. Could you maybe talk to me about a case study we've done and how we've helped an insurer overcome some of the challenges we've discussed in implementing a private market investment program? Sure thing, sure thing. Um, I believe just in advance, uh, most of our private debt insurance clients are actually based in Europe and need to manage their portfolios under Solvency 2. Here, we actually have seen quite different profiles um, from insurance companies investing only a fraction into private debt, 1 to 3% of their assets, but also investing up to 35% of their balance sheets 
into private debt, so sizable allocations. Um, for example, for the later client, we actually have built a dedicated SMA platform so they can access deal flow under their conditions, meaning their investment guidelines and steer the portfolio along their liability profile. We had the chance to accompany the client across all project steps, starting from constructing the essay, training their team on the essay class, helping them select the right GPs and setting up their own private debt platform, but also providing them a plug and play solution via our own private debt solution in order to shorten the time to market and complementing their GP selection with smaller but diversified allocations. Not every GP can actually support and own 500 plus million SMA. So, and in this project, you've really set the foundation for a long-term relationship, yes? Correct, correct. I think the project started with an initial step, building the essay, and then thereafter, we just accompanied the client across every project step. By now, we are not in the final strokes of building up the initial allocation, and thereafter, um, the ongoing management starts. Um, ongoing management means, again, we will have probably different market conditions, rising interest environment, we need to adjust the portfolio. We have reinvestment risk, so we need to find other solutions. Um, but it's not only investment decisions, it's also about um, the ongoing operations of the platform, making sure that the monitoring reporting works, making sure that the client gets the right information. And I think um, it's one of the most interesting projects we currently have with an insurance client. Um, guys, this has been great. Um, Mark, Marc-Andre, Looks like we're out of time. Thank you again for visiting with us today and be well. And I hope to see you again soon. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having us. Looking forward to the next podcast. Thanks for having us. That does it for this episode of RPM. For more insights on private debt and insurance companies, including the white paper we referred to, please visit our website at stepstonegroup.com. You can also subscribe to RPM on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast platforms.